This can be played at high volume. Live and local, this is the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. And welcome back. Hour two of two underway. Hopefully you're having a great Saturday morning. If not, just keep listening. And I'm sure you will because we got a great second hour planned for you and yours. More importantly, guy John Eric Poli, my MMA news, joined the program about 10 minutes or so. And then we got Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports. We're going to get down to brass tacks about what the hell is going on with USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten, what it could mean for the future of college football, and more at the bottom of this hour. And I got to give credit where credit is due to our guy, Ralph, an absolute like genius and maybe he threw down some money too with Ole Miss plus 650 to start the College World Series was plus 650. But in the Supers, they were plus 1,600 odds to make it, to win the whole damn thing. Think about that. Plus 650 to win the College World Series when it's when that started. I can understand that. But I'm wanting to know when the field was released because I feel like 1600 probably wouldn't be far off. But he also mentions, yeah, Fausti might be at a Swiss bank, and I would agree with that statement wholeheartedly. Then again, I'm sure he may not be doing that because obviously he got kids. But if he if he did throw down some money, he's definitely going to be enjoying himself on this 4th of July weekend, which I'm hoping you are as well. And that got me thinking. I do it every single Saturday during the summer. I've started doing this. So far, this is week number four. And I wanted to do something more patriotic because it is 4th of July weekend. Why not kind of get into that kind of mood? And I wanted to think about sports athletes that define Americana in one way or another. And one of those, I think I've got a multitude of guys that I can put in there. A team, if you will. But I'll... I'll Break down that list in a little bit. If you get your takes about an athlete that most defines what America is, call me up. 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. Or if you're listening on 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, there's a chat feature, something new we added, a little surprise for you. Join in on the chat. Maybe you're not ready to go on the hotline. Maybe you want to be under an anonymous name. Who knows? Get in on the live chat. Because trust me, there's a lot of different ways to listen to us and get in on the conversation. So here's my top five athletes that most have that spirit of America in them. I'll go number five. Babe Ruth, the great Bambino, one of the greatest 
players of all time in the sport of baseball. How can you not include him? In fact, as much of an anti-Yankees guy I am, you can't help but to respect a guy like Babe Ruth, absolutely one of the most iconic baseball players in the history of our great sport. He's absolutely in that list. And he, 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 after all, he is pretty much, to a certain extent, the face of America's pastime. Then, now, forever, helped establish the Yankees as a dynasty, and more importantly, establish them as a as America's team. And yes, we could say America's team was Dallas Cowboys, but I feel like that was back in the day of VHS and Betamax. That era's long gone. And we're gonna go way back in the time machine as well for our next one. And that's Jim Thorpe. There's no doubt in my mind, and add the fact that he is an Olympic gold medal. So that's where a lot of these other picks kind of come into place here. One, two Olympic golds in the 1912 Summer Olympics in the pentathlon and the decathlon. Played collegiate, professional football, baseball at a professional level, and he also was a basketball player. Maybe he's more known because of the fact that he was baseball and football, but he absolutely was a big deal. Add the fact that he was playing in semi-pro football before competing in the Olympics and violated the contemporary amateurism rules at the time. And they restored his Olympic medals in 1983, 30 years after his passing. An absolute legend of sports and I think, honestly, one of the greatest athletes from the first... I mean, people say he's one of the greatest athletes of all time. And the fact that he was pretty much not just a one- or two-sport athlete. He was well-rounded. He was pretty much a jack-of-all-trades. Maybe not a master of none, but he's pretty doggone good and deserves to be number four on this list. And we continue with the gold medals. How can we not include an American hero... 1996 wins an Olympic gold medal with a broken freaking neck. You guessed it. And this is also something I did on the Cajun Strong Style podcast a while back. Most American pro wrestlers of all time. Kurt Angle absolutely belongs at the top of the list. 1996 Olympic gold medalist. And the only Olympic gold medalist to compete in the pro wrestling world and the WWE and also be a world champion damn near every promotion that he went and he always had that all American type of feel to him absolute stud in the college ranks then he became the best of the world 1996 how can you not and other fact said it again he's he, that was his biggest claim to fame he won the Olympics won an Olympic gold medal with a broken freaking neck that alone puts him in the top five in my list and I think number two, I can't just give it to one person. I cannot give it to just one person here. It goes to an entire team. And we're not talking 1992, the dream team. We're not talking about those cats. We are talking about the USA hockey team 1980. I'm talking about, I'm going to go through the through these names real quick. Michael Rizzioni, John Harrington, Jack O'Callaghan. Mark Pavlicek, these guys, Buzz Schneider, no relation to Rob Schneider from what I can tell, Mark Wells, Mark Johnson, Mike Rams, you know these names. You've seen the movie. Absolutely deserving 
of being in that number two. Because you just think about the context of that. You were taking on an absolute dynasty, and everybody was already counting you out. If betting odds were around back then, and they probably were, in Vegas at least, but I wasn't born back then. I was born in 89, so I I don't know what the betting odds were back then, about 50 years ago. Actually, no, it was a little more than 40 years ago, 40, 50 years ago, whatever. That's besides the point. I would love to know what those betting odds were heading into that game. I guarantee you the U.S. was a strong, strong underdog in that contest. Four-time defending gold medalist. You were pretty much facing the New England Patriots while you were, according to a lot of people, already counted out kind of like the Cleveland Browns. But you picked yourself up by the bootstraps and beat the communists. Without a doubt, one of the greatest moments in American sports history and just sports history, period. Because, again, this is during, like, peak Cold War times. And how can you not put them at number two in this list? And I'm putting them at number two almost solely because I think there's somebody that would absolutely deserve number one on this list. And it's because of the fact that the guy's got more hardware than I think Ric Flair has World Heavyweight Championships. Damn near. And that is Michael Bleepin Phelps. 23 Olympic gold medals. 13 in individual events and just the medals in general in individual events at 16. Had eight in the 2008 Beijing Games. Was damn near draped in gold. You could call him, you know, gold member. You could pretty much call him that. That's what he was in 2008. And the fact that he just absolutely fit. The Baltimore Bullet, the Flying Fish, was absolutely on a tear during that run. He had some really good runs in 2004. He had eight medals of any color, six gold, two bronze. 2008 was when he really blew up. But he's hands down one of the greatest swimmers in the history of the sport, but also just more than deserving of being considered one of the best athletes that personifies America. That's what this is all about. It's not about the best athletes from America because, honestly, we'd probably wind up throwing in LeBron James into this list, Michael Jordan. The list goes on. Tom Brady would be in this. But in terms of, like, that personify America, that's what this is all about. And I'll throw in some honorable mentions as well. I think Muhammad Ali definitely, Cassius Clay, deserves to be in heavy consideration for this list. One of the greatest boxers of all time, one of the most influential boxers in the history of the sport. No doubt. And I'll go two more, then we'll take a quick time out, get John Eric Poli on in just a moment. But how can you not include the sport of professional wrestling a little bit more here with my other two honorable mentions? I'm seeing Jesse Owens from intern Daryl over here, and I like that. I like that a lot. He's going to be thrown in honorable mention as well. So I've got two more for you, then we'll take a quick timeout. And it's from the pro wrestling world because why the hell not? It's my show. I can do what I want. Hulk Hogan. Absolutely. His theme song said, I am a real American. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. Fight for your life. 
His lyrics spoke. And yes, the original gimmick was supposed to be more of a Italian-American, which, okay. But he just became a person that was kind of the spirit of America at a certain point in time in the 80s when it was Saturday morning cartoon-esque. Speaking of Saturday morning cartoons, we got to include Sergeant Slaughter into this list as well. Because not only was he truly a mastermind of like becoming just this Americana icon, was also part of G.I. Joe. Yes, he defected in the 90s during the Gulf War in the 90s, if you remember that. He defected to the other side, became a heel, but eventually he went back to being the all-American sergeant, the general. Just an amazing list, to say the least. But I like the top five. It's pretty strong. Babe Ruth, Jim Thorpe, Kurt Angle. The Miracle on Ice team just gets thrown in there altogether because they absolutely deserve to be. And Michael Phelps, because he he held so much gold, it damn near probably weighed as much as he does, if we're being honest. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to get on John Eric Poli, my MMA news, talking UFC 276 International Fight Week next. Also, credits Ralph again. Ole Miss, when the field was announced, 65 to 1 odds. Wow. Back after this on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. We are your home for the Astros and the LSU Tigers in southwest Louisiana. After all your problems during the week, it's finally the weekend. Yeah, baby! That's what I've been waiting for. That's what it's all about. That means you're getting more Under the Dome with CD right now on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Live. You get on 1041 Lake Charles, and we want to hook you up with a brand new Apple Watch. All you have to do is join our brand new text club. Just text GAME to 337-288-8100. That's GAME, 337-288-8100. Obviously, if you're driving, hand it over to your passenger, or also go ahead and Take care of that when you reach your destination. So, again, game to 337-288-8100. And once you join, you'll be eligible to win a brand-new Apple Watch. Yes, you heard me right. We've got your chance to win that. It's a Series 7. It's going to look really good. And it's also going to help you track your steps. As somebody who's been trying to lose some weight, mind you, I'm down 30 pounds. Definitely would like to have that. But also, you'll have a chance to score a ton of great prizes, including... Astros tickets, concert tickets, and so much more. Just join the game text club. Find out more info at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Now let's flip on over to the world of the UFC because International Fight Week is reaching its crescendo with UFC 276 at the T-Mobile Arena. It's definitely a busy night out in Vegas. With everything going on over there, I think no doubt about it, all eyes will be on Sin City with this stacked main card. 
featuring Sean O'Malley, Pedro Munoz, and two title fights with Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway for the featherweight title and the middleweight championship. The stylebender Israel Adesanya versus Jared Cannonier for the middleweight championship. And to talk about it, we got to get our guy John Eric Poli aboard the program. He's part of my MMA news. John, how you doing, brother? Hey, John, yeah, you there? Again, and uh, hard to believe that uh, it's International Fight Week already, and we're closing it out here. It just seems like the months have been flying by here, but uh, nonetheless, we're having a lot of fun as fight fans. That's for sure. All right, John. Before I get started with the fights, I got to give you a, a shout out, man, because I got to give you. a partial credit for a five-leg parlay I had from UFC 275 cashing in when he gave me a little tip on Brendan Allen in the prelims. I don't often bet on the prelims, but it's a Louisiana boy. I got a pull for him, and he was one of the, one of the five legs that cashed and netted me a cool 35 bucks. So appreciate you for throwing in that little bit of information. Hey, no problem at all. I actually saw that on Twitter, actually. I was following along on fight night, and I saw that you had the parlay going. And as the, as the fights were going, I'm like, oh, there's another one, there's another one. And then I was so happy when you got it, man. That's those, awesome. Glad you were able to win some money. Those final two were the most anxiety-ridden I've ever been watching a fight in my life. Like, literally. Because it looked like, you know, Valentina Shevchenko was getting just outclassed in that co-main event. And then you have Jiri pull a submission win out of his ass. It was one of the most insane, like, like final two fights and damn near nominees for fight of the year. But I want to get your thoughts more on the Shevchenko fight. And it's a conversation I've heard Ariel Hawani bring up many a time. Do we need to see the UFC go to open scoring? Because I feel like we're seeing more and more of these, like, controversial, air quotes there, finishes. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting take. Uh, I, I've been asking fighters a lot about it myself, and they kind of have mixed reactions to it. Uh, I think if you do have the open scoring, it makes it really interesting because you're going to know, like, that fight there, for example, they were going at it to begin with. Imagine if Cala Santos knew she had to go out and do something a little bit more in round five, for example, what she could have went out, maybe try to push the pace maybe a little bit more, something along those types of lines. For me personally, though, I always say I I for, I don't know what it is. This could be me being an old fuddy-duddy. I am a big fan of not knowing what's happening, that we're waiting for that moment where the Bruce Buffer is going to come out and announce it and seeing the shock on everybody. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because that's the way it always has been, if that's why I like it. But I don't know. There's something about, like, you know, being in, like, a bar, for example, and everybody's all, you know, rattled up and then, Oh, they're announcing the score because it gets real quiet before they announce it. Now all of a sudden, everybody erupts when it's all over. I, oh, I, I yeah. don't know what it is. I kind of kind of still like that, but that is an old funny Betty thing. Oh, trust me. I got, I've got to learn that experience all too well with all the watch parties we've had and the times I've been able to spend in some sports books now that betting's legal here out in Louisiana. But let's get into the actual main card itself. Sean O'Malley, without a doubt, I think is one of the fastest rising stars in the UFC period. And I think a win here should put him in the front of the line of a Bantamweight championship. Am I wrong? Uh, you might have to wait a little bit on that. Uh, that I mean, he's is going to rise to the ranks pretty quickly, that's for sure. Uh, I do know, I believe they have booked, I think for September, uh, Sterling will be fighting uh, TJ Dillashaw coming up. So that's, that's pretty much booked up. But I mean, he's... 
he'd be right in the mix. I think this fight here, if I have it correctly, should move him well into the top 10. He'll probably need one more before looking at a title fight, but he's definitely getting himself right in the mix, and he's doing it very fastly. And here's another great opportunity for him. Pedro Munoz is well-known. He's a guy that's highly ranked. And in all honesty, Anna Munoz has been flipping a little bit, so it is a great chance for Sugar Shaw to get another big win and to continue to climb those ranks. Another guy in the main card, Robbie Lawler, who last fought back in 2021, against Nick Diaz and won by TKO in a middleweight contest. He's going to be taking on in the welterweight division, Brian Barberina. How do you see this one kind of panning out for the veteran, Robbie? Yeah, you know, this one should be interesting. Uh, it seems like the big take on it that everybody's been saying is if you're going to bet on what's the fight of the night, it's going to be, it's going to be this one. If these guys are both going to come forward and they're both going to trade, the big question with Robbie is he's been in a lot of wars. If the chin holds up, it's going to be another war. So that's for sure. If you're looking to bet, like I know you like to, I don't know if I'd want to pick a winner on this one because this one does have, like I said, all week it's been buzzing. If this is going to be the fight tonight, this is going to be a bloodbath. This is going to be a war. So uh, hopefully the fans get to see it. I know Robbie likes to bring a lot of wars to the fans, and that's why the fans love watching Robbie Lawler because he likes to come and bring the fight. And that's always going to be a lot of fun to see those two go at it. Now let's go to another big fight over in the middleweight division. Sean Strickland, Alex Pereira. Chat me up on these two and give me an idea of where you kind of see this thing going tonight. Kind of in that that middle ground where, where it seems to be a really good fight between two middleweights, but it's right before that main event. It's that appetizer, if you will, before you really get into that main course. Okay, so this fight actually has me the, might have me the most excited on the whole entire card. I'm not going to lie because... Alex Perea, uh, fun fact, if nobody knows this, we've seen Israel Adesanya be so dominant, especially in the kickboxing world where he is just so good the way he moves and gets out of the way and lands these shots so technically and smooth and beautifully. Well, back when he competed in just kickboxing, Alex Perea beat him not once but twice, including he brutally knocked Adesanya out. Now he makes a decision, transfers to mixed martial arts, loses his first fight ever by submission, which happens to a lot of people that come over from the kickboxing world. But since then, he's rattled off, I believe, like eight or nine wins. He's 2-0 and now in the UFC. So this is a big opportunity for him to get back towards Adesanya. I'm sure Adesanya would like him to get the win tonight so they could, you know, settle this in mixed martial arts. But you have Sean Strickland, who's been on an absolute tear since moving up to 185 pounds. Obviously, he's been on a roll right now. He has title aspirations. A win today might do it for him to get a title fight. So this one has major, major implications in this middleweight division. As far as how it's going to go down, I think we're probably going to look at, I don't think anybody wants to get in a straight-up kickboxing match with Alex Perea. So look for Strickland to try to mix in some clinches. In the clinches, maybe do a little bit of dirty boxing. If you get a takedown, get a takedown. Because uh, Perea is a very tough guy, and he's a big guy too. He's he looks about six foot four. They say his hands are massive, so he, he's a real matchup problem in this middleweight division. Talk right now with John Eric Poli, my MMA news, and let's get into the co-main event for the featherweight championship. You got Max Holloway taking on a guy that's been. You talk about guys have been an absolute tear. He has been on an absolute roll and having like a great run of like solid fights at a performance of the night. 
to start off 2022 against Chan Sung Jung, the Korean Zombie, taking him down in the fourth round by TKO just before the bell rang. I think without a doubt, a fight of the year against Brian Ortega, in my mind, in the main event of 266. And it was a split decision against Holloway the last time. How do you see the sequel going down this time over in Las Vegas? Last time was in Abu Dhabi during the pandemic. Yeah, so this is actually a pretty interesting matter of fact. Last night, a coworker of mine, I was watching the weigh-ins while I was at work, and she doesn't know anything about the fight game, really. And she was like, oh, I just want to watch these with you, see if anybody gets into these verbal you know, altercations or that. And sure enough, Holloway and uh, Volkanovsky had some words for each other there. They were jawing at each other. And, you know, she was all intrigued with it. I'm like, oh, actually, the, you know, the shorter guy, the bald guy right there, his name's Alexander Volkanovsky. He's a champ. He actually beat Max Holloway twice. He was, well, what's that guy doing talking that if you lost this guy twice? Well, actually, all week, Max Holloway's been saying after being inside of the cage for 10 minutes or for 10 rounds with Alexander Volkanovsky, he's figured something out and he's telling everybody this fight's not going to go past three rounds. So if you believe anything Max Holloway says, maybe you want to go and place a bet on that that he's saying that. I don't think it's going to be that way. I think it's going to be another great. Five rounds of action. We're looking at the two best featherweights in the world by a long shot. We've seen this for, again, 10 rounds, nothing but close fights. It's going to be another close one tonight. It's going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, I can't wait for this one. It's going to be a great tactical fight. Who could uh, execute their game plan? Who can make the adjustments on the fly? Going to be another great fight. And now we get to the main event. Jared Candier absolutely deserving of a main event spot. Spot after he knocked out Derek Brunson back in February. Now he's going to be facing off against the style bender Israel Adesanya. How do you see this fight going? Because I think this could be one of those nominees for fight of the year when it's all said and done. Yeah, obviously the big fun fact coming in this one is Adesanya hasn't actually been dropped yet. I know uh, uh, Kelvin Gaslam was able to land some shots on him, which now seems way back when because that fight was a little while ago, but He's supposed to have been knocked down, and Cannoneer has the power to definitely put Adesanya's lights up. That's that's for sure. And uh, the big question is going to be, is, can he do it? Uh, Adesanya is just so tough to hit. He moves so good. He's just so fluent. And I remember I was interviewing Drakus Duplessis, who's actually had the prelims for this card. And uh, Drakus has a nice 16-2 and record. He's ascending through the, the middleweight division and a pretty decent clip. And, you know, I asked him for his takes on the main event, and he was saying – the big thing that I think to beat Adesanya is you got to make this a dog fight. And I think that's kind of got to be Cannoneer's route. I know that there have been people that have taken it easy, like Yoel Romero put on a snooze fest. He was able to kind of get a 48-47 scorecard. Whitaker was able to be a little bit, you know, slow with some things, be, uh, you know, time everything perfectly. The big thing, though, with Whitaker was he was able to secure takedowns. That's not Cannoneer's game. So I don't really see how Cannoneer's going to be able to be slow and patient and try to pick shots here. I think Cannoneer's going to have to make it a dogfight. If he's willing to go through those tough waters, make it a dogfight, I think it could be real interesting. Because, again, Cannoneer has that power if he's willing to come forward and eat a few shots to get close enough to really throw a big bomb in there. John, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy UFC 276 tonight. I'll talk to you down the road, brother. 
Awesome, man. Thanks for having me on again. Always a pleasure being here. We have a lot of big cards coming up, so can't wait to uh, to be on a few more times before the year's over. You, you already know, brother. You already know. Going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. Going to have Steve Lassen. He'll be coming on the program in mere moments. We got a lot to get to concerning the Big Ten getting USC and UCLA. We'll get to that and more next right here on the game. 1037 Live. Get at 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the Houston Astros and LSU Tigers. The world-famous CD may be in his 30s, but he's still a kid at heart. (laughs) Now, let's get back to a guy that has an unhealthy obsession with a number that offensive linemen wear with Under the Dome with the world-famous CD on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103.7 Live yet in 104.1 Lake Charles. And the Astros are one of the hottest teams in baseball. And you can see them live and in living color at Minute Maid Park because we want to hook you up with our Astros Weekend Getaway to see them take on the Seattle Mariners on July 30th. You'll probably see a win. I'll say that much. Better than some of the experiences I've had where they've, they've had some tough losses in the past but they'll probably get a win over Seattle on July 30th. Sorry, five names. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations for that Saturday night. And the Astros' weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, Lumberidian Houston downtown, and, of course, your favorite station, your home for the Houston Astros, the game, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Now let's flip the conversation over and get to probably one of the biggest topics in all of sports this week. It has to be USC and UCLA making the announcement they're exiting stage left from the Pac-12 and going over to the Big Ten. And to do that, we got to bring on our guy, Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports and co-host of the Athlon Sports Cover 2 podcast. Steve Lassen is aboard the hotline. Steve, how's it going, brother? Clint, it's always good to talk to you, man, especially after what's been another crazy week in the world of college football. It just seems like the news and the, the, the craziness just doesn't stop this, this offseason. Oh, it's been insane. I think this is just another log on the fire of conference realignment, expansion, and all this stuff. And the Pac-12 put out a statement yesterday saying they're going to, quote-unquote, explore all expansion options following U.S. So, first off, before we get to the Pac-12's future, USC and UCLA, what did that signal to you when it comes to the Big Ten and maybe us shifting more towards super conferences? Absolutely. So, you know, it's funny because, you know, we're talking about expansion and Conferences are getting bigger, but I think the theme of this, and I think the long-term takeaway, really is about consolidation. It's about consolidation at the top into super conferences. The Big Ten and the SEC are, you know, sort of breaking away. You know, we have a Power Five, but there's really a Power Two that's forming, and you want to have a seat at the table for in in one of those conferences, and so. Certainly, USC and UCLA, the, the geographic aspect is a little odd when you think about, you know, USC is now in the same conference as Rutgers and Indiana. 
but really it goes back to that. It just it, there's this got to you got to have a seat at the table. You've got to have a seat at the table in the Big Ten and the SEC for super conferences because they're coming. And not to mention the financial aspect of this as well. I mean, USC could double, potentially triple its revenue in the Big Ten as opposed to the Pac-12. So I think that sort of says what's happening is the Big Ten and SEC just continue to push away from the rest of college football. And it's amazing to see this kind of come down. I I literally was in the middle of trying to map out what this show was going to be about, and then it's like, oh, hey, you know. Time to kind of like flip the whole conversation and kind of scrap a lot of my original plans. But looking at the Pac-12, because you lose, I think, two of your biggest draws. In all honesty, obviously, you've still got the University of Oregon and the, and the Ducks, and they definitely are a team that's always going to be the big point of conversation. But you lose Southern Cal and UCLA in one fell swoop. What does that mean for the Pac-12, and who could kind of fill that void if the Pac-12 does find a partner to expand with? Yeah, it's a great question because, I mean, I think first of all, to your point, USC and UCLA from a brand perspective and national championship potential to compete at the highest level, those two programs have pretty much everything you want. Oregon is is in that mix as well, but that's two of your top three brands and programs in college football. So it's a huge loss. There's really no way for the Pac-12 to replace that. I mean, if you think back, you know, if we were thinking maybe 10 years ago when USC and UCLA had left, well, maybe Oklahoma and Texas would be available at that point when they were in the Big 12. But that's just the problem. There's just not a lot of fits to go to the Pac-12, number one, even though we just, we just talked about UCLA and UCLA from a geography standpoint. There's just not a lot of teams out west that make sense. I think the, the Pac-12 should Look at some of those teams in the Big 12, whether that's Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, uh, Kansas, Baylor. The question that those programs have to ask is, does it make sense to to move to the Pac-12? It seems crazy to even question that, considering where the Big 12 uh, was in in last offseason. But I think right now, you're better off staying in the Big 12 if you're Oklahoma State. So I I think the most likely candidates to me are Boise State, San Diego State, uh, BYU. If you really want to stretch, maybe UNLV because of Las Vegas. But I think you're really reaching at that point. This kind of gets at the problem for the Pac-12. There's just not a lot of obvious fits. And the teams that you can bring in, while they do add some value, they're just not going to replace USC and UCLA. Exactly. And that's going to make it an even harder road if the college football playoff does stay at four for the foreseeable future. And that's kind of where we're, we're at right now because you want to kind of set yourself up for the best-case scenario. And Big Ten and the Big, and the SEC, they're setting themselves up in that 2024-2025 range to have some of the best college football in the world. And you brought a BYU as a potential candidate to join the Pac-12. Let's bring up another independent in Notre Dame, a team that's just – Outside of the 2020 COVID year, when they joined the ACC just because they kind of had to, what does, like, could we see Notre Dame finally say, we're not going to be an independent anymore, shed that, and go ahead and jump over to the Big Ten? Because I think that's the next big, like, domino to fall when we talk about these super conferences. No question about it. I think if you're looking for where the next move might come from or the next kind of thing that holds the cards to realignment, it's Notre Dame. 
because Notre Dame could join the the SEC, the Big Ten, the ACC, whatever conference it wanted to at any time. And yes, they are tied to the ACC, but it seems like if they wanted to leave as a football program and go to the Big Ten, it would not be that expensive for Notre Dame at this point, especially considering the revenue that they could be getting. I think if you're Notre Dame, this is probably the first time you actually have to entertain it because – you know, if you think about where Notre Dame is, it is a coast-to-coast conference. They want to play games across the country. You've got the East Coast and the Big Ten. You've got the Midwest, and you now you have the West Coast. You could play games against Ohio State, USC, Penn State. It's way more appealing to Notre Dame than it was probably two weeks ago, and the financial aspect of this, too. I mean, there are some projections that have the Big Ten bringing in uh, about $100 million in revenue in the future. Think about where the SEC is right now, too. The SEC is going to explode in there. So if you're talking about being able to compete at the highest level, I mean, if, if Ohio State's bringing in $100 million and you're bringing in $40 million, that gap has to be concerning for Notre Dame. So I, I always say I think Notre Dame will stay independent, but I think that they may have to have more serious consideration to joining the Big Ten, especially considering how powerful it's gotten and the fact that we seem to be on a very fast track to super conferences. So if you're looking to to where the next moves are and what holds the cards, it's Notre Dame for sure. I'd agree with you on that statement wholeheartedly. Talking right now with Steve Lassen, part of Avalon Sports. And could you see this become essentially where – now that we've got the Big Ten adding in a West Coast team, because one of my dream scenarios was it'd be more of a regionalized matter, but I think now regional regional stuff's kind of thrown out, bam, not a factor. But if you look at the Power Five conferences, could you see a potential North versus South type feel to it to where you have the Big Ten take over a good chunk of land and be like an AFC while the South is more of your NFC, if you will. Let's, let's just make that comparison. Could you see that be a direction that the world of college football could go in because we think the Power Five is probably going to break off soon and may do their own thing? Absolutely. I mean, I think we have to think, you know, I don't think any thought at this point is really that crazy. I mean, would it surprise you at all if the SEC decided to add Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, uh, maybe Oklahoma State in the next 20 years, and all we have is the Big Ten versus the SEC for the college football playoff championship. I don't think that's crazy at all, considering what's happened. I mean, I, I hope that doesn't happen just because, you know, as a fan of all 131 teams, and, and you know, I enjoy the, the, the midweek action and the, the Sun Belt just as much as I do as, as the SEC and the Big Ten, I think we lose a part of college football every time we sort of consolidate power at the top, but I, I think right now, you know, there's we we have the Power Five, but like I said, there's a Power Two. It's the Big Ten and SEC. Then you almost have a next tier of ACC, Pac-12, Big 12, and then there's the Group of Five. So, I think maybe we almost have three tiers within FBS that's starting to form. Unfortunately, for for those of us who are fans of everything in college football, <laughs> I'd, I'd agree with you there wholeheartedly, Steve. And I want to flip over. We're talking about teams coming and going into different conferences and whatnot. One team in particular that's going to be joining the SEC in the next couple of years is going to be the Texas Longhorns, and they've been on an absolute recruiting tear. It all started last week when the big bombshell of Arch Manning joined that program. You see what they got now with Quinn Ewers, 
Obviously, Arch is going to spend some time underneath him and then eventually take over as the starting quarterback. And with everything going on, because Steve Sarkeesian's right now got a top three recruiting class in the entire country, right now in early July. I know that doesn't mean much. It's all that matters is what happens when these guys get on the field. But you see everything that they're setting up for. Could you really see Texas start to make a really big impact once they jump over to the SEC because everything is starting to stack up nicely for Sarkeesian and crew? Yeah, it's seems like Arch Manning's you know, commitment is like two years ago based upon everything that's happened the last uh, couple weeks in college football. But you're right. I mean, Texas has been on an absolute recruiting tear uh, since then, and they're going to be on track for a top-five class, like you mentioned. I think, if nothing else, Arch Manning, the commitment there is you know, solid kind of proof of concept for Sarkeesian in the sense of, you know, they're coming off a of 5-7, and seven, if Arch Manning believes that he's the right coach, he can turn this program around. Oh, that's good enough for other recruits. That's good for the five-star receivers. That's good for everybody else. So I think his commitment is a sign of belief in Sarkeesian. It's a sign of belief that the program is on the right track. We've always we've heard this before from Texas that they've recruited well and things like that. So I'm sort of taking it as a grain of salt and say, you know, I believe Texas is going in the right direction. I as far as competing at a high level, if you look at this team this year and even next year down the road, line of scrimmage is going to be such a, a concern. I mean, they got, you know, they really got pushed around in that game against Arkansas uh, last season. I know it's only a one-off, but the line of scrimmage right now for Texas is going to take some time to get up to SEC standards. But when you have a quarterback like Quinn Ewers, like Arch Manning, that can alleviate some of those concerns. So I think Texas is going in the right direction. If we're thinking about down the road, I think if I'm Sarkeesian, I kind of hope it's 2025 that they're in the SEC because that gives them way more time to start recruiting the offensive and defensive linemen that they're going to need to go up against the Alabama and Georgias and A&Ms and LSUs of the SEC. Steve, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your 4th of July weekend. I cannot wait for college football season, especially with this news of UC- USC and UCLA jumping over to the Big Ten. Absolutely, Clint. Thanks for having me. Hope you have a great weekend as well. All right, Steve. Last, you can follow him on Twitter at Athlon. Steve, and also check out Athlon Sports. Their fall previews are out right now. Going to have to chat him up about some stuff after we go off the air. But I got one final take before I go off the air and lead you into a fantastic 4th of July weekend that's going to be filled with Astros baseball. They got two more games against the Angels in a 4th of July midday matinee action, 310 first pitch today. Steve Sparks, driver forward, bring you into the action at 240 right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 104, one leg. Charles, we are Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and we're back after this. Before we close up shop here on Under the Dome, CD has just one more take to fire off before he drops the mic. Is it going to be a take that lands on the Scoville scale? Or is it going to be as cold as the pizza in your fridge? Let's listen in and find out. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. One final take before we get on out of here. And we talked about it earlier about Ole Miss Rebels baseball, how they were, and I give credit to our guy Ralph, 65 to 1 odds when the College World Series was, when the field was announced. 65 to 1 odds. 
This team had no business. We talked about it last week with Nick Suss. Had zero business being in the tournament, being in the field at all. That LSU sweep definitely turned their fortunes around and then some. So that brings me to my one final take. They won the national championship. I say now, start working on building the Mike Bianco statue now. That guy absolutely deserves it. He's been part of that program for a long time. Yes, he's a former LSU Tiger. And people will say he's probably going to go play for – Drew's going to go play for him. I don't necessarily think so because if he, if he wanted to, he would have already played for him before. So in my mind, I think Mike Bianco, who's been the head coach at Ole Miss dating back to 2001, he's been there for over 20 years, and he finally won the big one. And he's had a really solid career over the course of those 20 years. He's only not made the postseason three times. Three times. That's impressive in and of itself. But winning the College World Series the way that you did, he either deserves the statue or he deserves to have the damn field named after him. Like, I understand they have Swayze Field, but at the end of the day, it's like Mike Bianco Park at Swayze Stadium Field or whatever. Just do it. That's the way it needs to be. A lot like how they have the Teague or, you know, Event Gerard Field at Lampson Park. Do it like that, and I think you wind up setting things up quite nicely for your future. And I have the fact that Bianco's a hell of a guy, and I, I'm i happy for him. I am absolutely happy for him. Well, we're going to get out of here. Hope you have a great rest of your 4th of July weekend. We got Astros baseball at 240 pregame. 310 first pitch. Until then, for our intern Daryl, for yours truly, I'm the world famous CD. Peace out. Talk to you next Saturday. Same bad time, same bad channel.